welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hello, hello. Good to see everyone today. I want to welcome everyone here in the room. I want to welcome our Gateway Online family as well. And I want to say a welcome to Gateway Magnolia location as well. Let's give it up for all of them. Thank you for joining us. It's been an exciting week as we got to celebrate uh, the launch. Obviously, you saw a little bit of the video, a little snapshot of what God has done. Uh, We're excited because this past week, when we had the services between 9 and 11 there at Magnolia, over 470 people came to, for the grand opening, so we're excited about that. I believe this is just the beginning of what God wants to do in that area as we continue to reach the greater Houston area. But I also want to say January was a phenomenal month as a church. One of the things that we pray about is that through our hearts and through our service that God will continue to move in powerful ways, and the kingdom of God will continue to grow. And I'm really excited. My hope is that you celebrate that over 150 people gave their lives to Jesus and said yes to him in January. That's something worth celebrating. And we believe that God is going to continue to move in a powerful way. I want to encourage you, if you are one of those and you haven't been baptized yet or you gave your life to God, haven't been baptized, February 25th, there's a night of worship and baptism, you can go to gatewayhome.com, uh, and it's a, step for, it's a chance for you to go public with your faith and all that God has done, so that's the next step, and I'm also excited because groups have launched as well, hopefully you have the chance after this past week, but also today you can get plugged into a group out in the lobby at both of our locations, you can meet group leaders, I encourage you to at least grab one of these cards, you can scan the QR code, find out groups, so you can go to gatewaygroups.com, and you can also still lead a group, so if God's put on your heart to lead a group, we'll train you, give you all the resources that you need to be able to lead, Uh, and really, we want everyone in a group because we believe that we're supposed to be in relationship with each other. It's when we're in relationship with each other that we get to take off the mask and be real and authentic. And that's where the healing and the freedom that God wants to do in our lives begins. And then next weekend, I'm excited because our apostolic and overseeing elder, Pastor Robert Morris, will be here with us as well. So it'll be an incredible time. I got to spend some time with him this past week, and I know he's excited to come and share share a message uh, that will be life-changing for all of us and propel us as we continue to do the work of God here in 2024, believing that God's going to continue to do great things. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Exodus 14? Exodus 14, I'll bounce around a little bit, but that's where I'll start off. Or you can go to the Version app, click on events, and click on Gateway Church Houston. You'll find all the information. Many people take notes that way and then save them for later on. And normally, we're in the middle of a series Uh, But today, it's going to be more of a a standalone message, and I'm just going to be sharing a little bit of what God has shown me during the time where I was on voc arrest, I was out of the pulpit, and just what God was having me focus on, and really was a simple phrase, uh, to be still, to be still in his presence, to be still in my relationship with him, and that's what he was speaking to me, so I want to share that today with a message titled, The Power of Stillness. The power of stillness. See, it's very easy for us 
to struggle with this idea of stillness, whether you're a young child or a baby or whether you're an adult. I remember whenever I was a, a new father, uh, we would try to put, obviously, our kids to go to sleep at night. Every parent wants for that to happen. And I remember I would, it would be my turn to swaddle the kids. And one thing I realized is that when you go to swaddle a kid, they don't sit still, okay? They don't allow that to happen. And I feel like any time I swaddled them, I could never do a good job. Started watching videos, still wasn't a good job. And I felt like any time I would go get them after they slept through the night or even whenever... I put them down for a nap. They would simply have the blanket in their hand telling me that they won. They were victorious and better luck next time when it comes to swaddling me. But here's the truth. As a baby, we, we can be wrestle with this idea of stillness. But I've actually seen adults still wrestle with this idea of stillness. Even when you hear that word, you may be wrestling on the inside of yourself right now, picturing what that would look like for you because you're used to being on the go, you're used to being on the move, you're used to being busy. But here's why we normally struggle with this idea of stillness, and here's why we equate stillness with laziness. I don't know if there's anyone here, you hear the word stillness, it's like, okay, he was just lazy for the past time when he wasn't here, but that's not the case at all. Here's what we need to understand. Stillness is not a matter of laziness. Stillness is actually a matter of obedience. See, stillness is the inward posture of a person whose confidence is in God. Stillness is the inward posture of a person whose confidence is in God. They're not frantic. They're not running around. They're not rushing. They trust God for his timing and that he will fulfill the purposes that he has for them in their life. And in Psalm 23, a passage that many of us know. It talks about the good shepherd. David writes about the good shepherd, and there's several things that he really lays out about the shepherd. One of them is, it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. Think about that, still waters. This, these phrases have to do with protection and peace. All throughout the scriptures, people are actually called sheep because we're very simple, and we're like sheep, and he's ultimately the good shepherd. But it's about protection and peace. But here's what you need to know about sheep. Sheep typically won't lie down if they don't feel safe. And here's why, because they have no defense mechanisms. You never heard of fighting sheep before, have you? Okay, here's why, because sheep can't fight. Sheep can only run. That's their only way to defend themselves. So the only time you'll actually see a sheep lying down is when they feel protected because of their shepherd. But here's also why it's important that they went beside still waters. See, a, a sheep can't swim that well. So if there's moving water and a sheep were to step in it, what would happen? A sheep would fall in and they would ultimately drown because their wool would become too heavy for them to continue swimming. So he's saying, I'm going to bring you to still waters and I'm going to make you lie down so you'll experience my protection and peace. But I feel like there's even one later part in this, I felt like God was showing me during this time, and it says, my cup overflows. Many of us have read that passage. That's the way that we're supposed to live, from an overflowing cup. The way that it would happen at, at this time when David is writing this, if there were a person and they wanted you to stay and they were wanting to be hospitable, they were enjoying the conversation, they would continue to fill your cup because they wanted you to be in their presence and they wanted to be in your presence. So when he's saying my cup 
overflows. He's saying, I know that God wants me to be still in his presence. But here's what God was speaking to me during that time. He was, he was just saying, Ethan, it's hard to fill the cup of a person who won't remain still. If you won't remain still long enough, then God's not going to be able to fill your cup, and you definitely won't be overflowing. That's why many of us are struggling, even in our walk, with God. But I have three points today that talk about being still, and here's the first one. Stand still and see. Stand still and see. And in Exodus 14, we're about to dive into the pastor, but I want to give it a little context. Through Moses, God had delivered the Israelites uh, from bondage to the Egyptians. They would represent the modern, uh, the, the modern way of the world, the world system. That's what Egypt would represent for us. And they're making their journey to the promised land, and they find themselves in an impossible situation in between the sea, the wilderness, and then Pharaoh coming towards them. And Pharaoh's coming after them because he wants to take them back into bondage. And we pick it up in Exodus 14, verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Heroth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. How many of you know that God can confuse the enemy? The enemy is not all-knowing. God can confuse them. So he's setting a trap for the enemy. And verse 4, and said, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped as they were told. See, this is what it looks like in many times in our lives as believers as we're walking with God. When we come to him, he's the one who sets us free to be able to walk the new life. But the enemy would love to bring you back into bondage. But here's the truth that we need to understand that he can't bring back into bondage what God has made free if we continue following after him. And the same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God that's fighting on your behalf. Exodus 14, we'll continue to verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Look at the language. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. See, I find this passage very interesting, but I probably have seen a little bit in my own life. I don't know how in the world they are panicking when they were made aware of the plan ahead of time. God told them the plan. It's walking out as God laid it out. And yet they're still panicking. I don't know if that's ever been you in your life. God's spoken to you, and you're walking it out, yet there's still a sense of panicking. And it got them to the place 
where they began to glamorize the past instead of glorifying the God who had set them free. They began to look backwards instead of following after God. See, here's the thing that I've learned is that being still looks like many times being stuck. When we're stuck, and we may not necessarily know the way to go, but with God and in his kingdom, many times being still can look like that, but you just need to be still and trust God because at the right timing, he'll bring you through to the other side and you'll experience breakthrough. You're not stuck. Simply be still and watch God move because it was in standing still that it actually gave them the ability to move forward next. But the perspective you have will shape the peace that you experience. And I'm going to say that again. The perspective you have will shape the peace that you experience. Because in this moment, as they're going, it said they looked up. And when they looked up and looked around, they panicked. Because beforehand, they were actually looking at something else. And here's what it says in verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. See, beforehand, they were actually following the angel of the Lord, and they were following this pillar. But then they looked, and they got panic instead of following God and ultimately experiencing his peace. See, our perspective will shape the peace that we experience. But here's what we need to understand is that the same God who leads you to, into your future also can cover your past. This is what's happening in this moment. He's saying, I see them panicking. I see them in the middle of fear. I'm actually going to block that view so they'll continue to move forward if they would simply be still. So the question for us today is, where are you looking? Where, what perspective are you looking at? Are you just simply looking at what you can see with your eyes, or are you actually praying and hearing God's perspectives? Are you looking at the problem, or are you looking at the promise? Are you focused in looking at the pain or the purpose that he has for your life? Are you stuck looking at the opposition or the opportunity that can come on the other side of it? Are you stuck looking at what you're going through rather than the place that God has called you to? Because what you look at in times of trouble is an indication of where you place your trust. And in this moment, they were still at the place where they had left Egypt, but clearly Egypt had not left them to the point where they were like, I'd rather be a slave and be in bondage than walk in the freedom that God has for us. See, God actually called them out to this place so that they would worship, so that they would trust them. And God provided for them during the entire journey, but they couldn't get to this place because they couldn't get to the place where they were willing to put their faith and trust in them because of what he saw. This is why it's important what we look at. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're not supposed to fix our eyes on our circumstance or our problems, and yes, we all have them. We're all going to experience trouble in life, but we need to fix our eyes on Jesus in those moments. See, a pioneer is actually someone who goes into uncharted territory. So here's the truth. If God is calling you somewhere in the, into the unknown, he's actually already been there before you. He's taking you to a place that he's prepared for you to step into. But here's the thing we need to understand. There are some battles that the Lord will fight for you. 
It said the Lord is going to fight this battle. You need to make sure that you're not fighting any battles that God said are mine, that he's going to step in to that moment. I feel like in every friend group, there's a person that I'm going to call the enforcer. It's a person who uh, isn't wise about the battles they choose. They think it's wise to fight every battle that comes their way. Does anyone have those friends that they are just the ones who kind of step into the battle? David was actually one of those to me. He actually went to fight Goliath. He's the guy that chose to fight. And there's some people who just love to fight and are hoping some things go down so they can step in. Whenever I was in college, there was this guy, uh, we'll call his name Joe, uh, primarily because that was his actual name. But Joe was a football player, grew up, he was actually one of the strongest in high school uh, in the nation at the time, had broken some records, and, but he was one of our friends, he was hanging around us, and anytime Joe was with us, we didn't have to worry about anything, because Joe would be the enforcer that would step in if anything was about to happen. He actually enjoyed stepping in to those moments, because he was the enforcer in our group, and if you don't have an enforcer in your group, you actually may be the enforcer in your group and not really know it. But the question for us all is, who is your enforcer? Because the Lord would actually love to fight your battles for you. But that can only happen when you have the opportunity and take the opportunity to be still in his presence. And here's the good news for all of us. Jesus has never lost a battle. So we can be confident and we can be still. Remember, that's what stillness is. It's when we're confident in our God so we can stand still and see. Here's the second thing. We can be still and know. Be still and know. Psalm 46, 10 and 11, it says this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And we're going to come back to that word Selah in a moment. But I have a question for us. Is it possible that we don't know God and we don't know who he is because we actually aren't able to be still long enough? This scripture says, be still and know. There's a stillness that happens that allows you to know God. As a matter of fact, stillness is a pathway to knowing God. God says, if you seek for me, You'll find me if you seek with your entire heart. This is why the enemy fights this so much. This is why he, he fights rest. This is why he fights stillness, because in the stillness, God can actually begin to speak to you. He can begin to give you direction. He can begin to speak to things that are happening in your heart, the chaos or the turmoil happening on the inside to be able to lead you into a better future. Because the purpose of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he's got us so many times as believers, even other people thinking that if I'm still, then God isn't pleased. That I have to be doing something in order for me to be in a relationship with him. Yes, there's a calling that he's placed on your life, but it starts by abiding and being still with him first so that you actually have the power to walk out what he's called you to walk out. There are 11 verses in Psalm 46. And the word Selah, depending on what translation you have, interlude, is there three times. Here's what the word Selah means. It means to pause and reflect. To pause and reflect. See, many people go an entire year and don't reflect on anything. 
They just continue moving forward. But here's what we need to understand. It's actually reflection that turns experience into insight. Otherwise, we can go an entire year not actually understanding and learning the lessons that God was trying to lead us into on the other side. But here's what it's saying here. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry. There's something that I'd like to show you here that you can't get if you aren't still long enough for me to give you the revelation of it. So read this part. Meditate on it. Slow down a little bit. Because I want you to know me in a different way. Uh, whenever I was younger, I, I was walking with a friend, and we were going to join up with everyone else uh, to play. I don't even remember the game that we were going to play, but we were walking uh, toward it. And as we were walking, uh, there was a dog that was sitting out there in the field. The owner was actually around the corner where we couldn't see. But we were walking towards the dog as we were going to meet our friends. and. Whenever the dog saw us, immediately he jumped to his feet and made a beeline for us, running full speed. At this time, I was probably seven or eight, so I was terrified. My friend was a little bit older. But here's what he said to me. He said, Ethan, be still, don't run. And here's why he said that. Because he knew the owner and he knew the dog. Well, apparently when he said that to me, all I heard is, run. So this dog comes. He's standing to my left. He, he comes. He runs around him. And I don't know in that moment, I thought I was Usain Bolt, and I was about to outrun this dog. But literally, the dog comes around us, comes to my side, and I just take off running, thinking I'm going to beat this dog. I did not beat that dog, okay? The dog actually ran after me. Jumped on my side. I had, you bit me on my side. I'm still going through freedom for that moment. But they took me to the hospital. Uh, probably gave me a lollipop, sent me on my way, and I went back out and hung, hung out with my friends and played that night. But I have a question for you. Why is it that my friend didn't run? Here's why. Because he knew the owner and he knew the dog, so he simply knew that he could be still. One of the main reasons why we can't be still long enough in the presence of God is because we don't know him that well. But when you know God, you realize that you don't have anything to run from. You can be courageous. You can be bold and face any opposition that the enemy may bring, knowing that you'll experience the victory. And it's important for us to understand this, that we can be still and know God. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait... On the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, here's what we need to understand. That God's strength is reserved for those who know they are weak. God's strength is reserved for those who know they are weak, that they know that they need to wait on him. He tells us in 2 Corinthians is that his power is actually made perfect in the midst of our weaknesses. So if God is calling you to something and you feel like you're weak, then you're a perfect candidate for God to reveal his strength in your life. The Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. But this waiting is not passive, it's active. This waiting is to, to mount up. The words that he uses to run and to walk. But I want to say this, how you wait is important as well. 
We've all been in waiting rooms, and many times God will have his, what I would call, heavenly waiting room that you're in. This past week, uh, one of our kids had surgery, and we were in that waiting room. But many of us wait in different ways. Some of us, we try to distract ourselves. We'll pull our phone out, maybe focus on that, play a game, whatever it may be. Some of us just get busy with work. That's how we distract ourselves. But some of us, uh, we're frustrated waiters. I would be that type. Sometimes I could be a little bit impatient. We could be frustrated in that waiting room. And some of us are waiting on God. Our arms are crossed. Feet are tapping. And we're just wondering when God is going to hurry up. I've been praying about this for 10 weeks. I've been praying about this for an entire year. Where's my answer? When is it going to happen? And we're frustrated in the waiting room that God has us in. But here's what we need to understand about waiting when it comes to God. Waiting on the Lord is not about time, but about trust. You may ask, well, how long am I going to wait? The truth is, I don't know. But here's what I do know, that you can trust God even in the waiting. That he is trustworthy. This is how we can get to the place where we experience rest even in the middle of the wait. Hebrews 3.19 says this, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Just so you know, one of the ways that unbelief is actually shown is in complaining. When you complain, you're actually revealing an area of your life that you don't trust God. That you have not given over to him yet because you're having to wait. See, the norm in our culture is not to, to live from a spirit of rest. As a matter of fact, we actually wear busyness as a badge. People come up to you and say, hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm just busy. You know how it is. They may say, no, I don't, because there are people that know the power of stillness. Okay, now you can say that when other people come up to you. But that's very normal to wear busyness as a badge. But that's not how God has called us to live. See, we need to understand the calendar that we have is not just what we're doing. It's actually a picture of who we're becoming. So are you allowing your calendar to be shaped by God? I know it may not be a thought that we have. But if you ask him, how, how do you want me to use my time? What are you wanting me to do during this season, even if you're in that place of waiting? Because so many people are exhausted, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. They're just exhausted and they aren't experiencing rest. And I'm not just talking about sleep. You can live from a place of rest. And here's why. Because stillness is simply the opposite of restless. We can experience rest from God. Exodus 31, 17. It says, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. He's talking about the Sabbath. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. This is before the law was given, by the way. That God, who created the heavens and the earth, it says he was rested and refreshed. This word means to take breath. That God was refreshed. He breathed in. You got to remember, whenever God speaks, he breathes out. That's how he creates but he rested and was refreshed in this moment. And this is so key because we need to understand that God was never a slave to creating, so why would we be? He was not stuck in this place of having to create more, and he actually lays out the blueprint for us to follow to be able to come to the place where we're able to Sabbath and rest. 
Sabbath, by the way, means to cease labor. So it's not the idea of what you're doing. It's actually what you're not doing. And the truth is, is you're not doing what you're doing the other six days of the week. He's saying one day. And by the way, the Sabbath is made for man. And I understand that Jesus is our Sabbath, but if God was willing to rest and he was refreshed, the question is, if we're not living from that place of being rest and being rested and drawing in and being refreshed and taking breath, then we're missing out on what God has for every single one of us. This is why we feel constant pressure to perform instead of enjoyment that God wants to give every single one of us because we're his kids, because we're children of God. See, you may think, well, you just don't understand all the responsibilities that I have. And if God took away all these responsibilities, then I could finally rest. Okay, here's the thing. God actually has given each of us a purpose, and that purpose comes with responsibilities. See, we have to understand this, that rest isn't found in the removal of responsibilities, but in the removal of any burden that would keep you from Jesus. Rest isn't found in the removal of responsibilities, but in the removal of any burden that would keep you from Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus is the rest giver, and he's the burden remover. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See, the way that we experience rest is by coming to Jesus. Whenever we have heavy burdens, we need to bring those to him. Over the last month or so, as I've navigated uh, my left vocal cord having a polyp on it, there were many things that were going through my head. Things that I had to wrestle with, questions that I had for God, questions that I had for the ENT as I was going through the entire process. Uh, what is it going to be like when I have surgery? How long is it going to take? Uh, are you any good at your job? Because that's what I really want to know. There were thoughts that were coming in. I was like, hey, what's the statistical probability? Uh, and even with God, there was some fear that kind of settled in that God spoke to and dealt with. It's like, hey, are you done with me? Sometimes I can get a little bit dramatic and a little bit exaggerated. God, are you done with me? He's like, no, I'm not done with you. Just continue to walk and do this process. But with ENT, I would just ask a ton of questions, and then I went online as well, which was a very foolish decision for me to look online. Don't do that. I'm just going to recommend that for everyone. And that didn't help. But here's why I had all these questions. Here's why I was asking all of this to try to help myself in that moment. Because it's hard to trust someone that you don't know. I'm sure you're seeing where I'm going with this. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. But I want to say this. The more you're still, and the more you know God, the easier it will be to trust him in the future. The more you'll be able to wait on him, the more your strength will be renewed if you're willing to come to the place where you're trusting in God. But the way that you know him to a greater level is to be still in his presence, to read the word, to pray. By the way, prayer is not a monologue. It's speaking to God, but it's also allowing him to speak to you and the things that you're going through. And we have to come to that place where we be still and know. And here's the final one. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. It says this, on the same day when Jesus, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, 
and other little boats were also with him. Remember that. There were other boats on the water. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. Said it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and they were, there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, the, his disciples were fishermen. They were used to being on the Sea of Galilee. So if they were scared and there was something, that means there was something to be afraid of. The Sea of Galilee, many times, uh, the waves can get over 20 feet tall. I don't know if you've ever been deep sea fishing. I've been deep sea fishing twice, and both times there was a storm, and I think that's an indication that God doesn't want me to go deep sea fishing anymore, okay? But every single time that I was out there deep sea fishing, I got sick to the point where I just had to sit down and rest. One time we were out there as a family. We were uh, obviously fishing, and Elaine got sick as well, but she had an excuse because she was pregnant at the time. I just didn't have an excuse. But the disciples had a reason to be scared. And in this moment where they were scared and afraid, Jesus is asleep. Talking about a person who understands rest. But this was actually, to me, a Selah moment for them. Where they were about to find something out that they couldn't just rush to the other side because they were about to learn a little bit more about who God was being at rest in the storm. But just so you know, it was Jesus in the same way that God said, hey, I, this is my plan for you to walk this path. Jesus actually tells them to go to the other side, knowing that there would be a storm. And this is important. Because many times we think when there's a storm, when we're going through a trial, or we're experiencing opposition, then that actually means that we're out of the will of God. But it could actually be a sign that you're in the will of God, and the enemy is trying to stop you from what God has called you to do. So if you're experiencing opposition, that may not necessarily mean you're supposed to go the other way. But here's what I want you to catch in this moment, even at the times when we're fearful, even at the times that we may doubt. Jesus' response, it actually says he rebuked the wind, saying, peace be still. That word in the Greek means put a muzzle on it. Stop talking. Shut up is basically what he said, okay? Stop. It doesn't say he rebuked the disciples. It says he spoke to them. He said to them. See, many times we're in those moments where we're doubting God and we're struggling. We think God is there to yell at us, to rebuke us. But he simply speaks to them. Here's why. Because they didn't need more information to get to the other side. What they needed in this moment was an impartation from God to say, this is who I am and I'm here with you. So you could actually be like me asleep in the boat because we're going to get to the other side. See, Jesus didn't correct the disciples for waking him up. Jesus doesn't, doesn't rebuke them for disturbing him. He actually corrected them for disturbing themselves with their fears. They were disturbed to the point where they basically were saying to Jesus, do you not even care about us? I don't know if you've ever asked God that question. Are you paying attention? Are you awake? Are you still sleeping on my situation? What's going on here, God? 
But here's what 1 John 4, 18 actually tells us. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, here's what we need to understand. That God does not honor fear-based decisions, and here's why. Because it's actually an indictment against God and his love for us. This is why God commands us not to fear. So I want to really talk with us real quick. How to defeat fear. Three points real quick. First of all, you admit your fear without shame. You admit your fear without shame, and here's why. You can't cast a fear or a care that you actually refuse to acknowledge. We're not supposed to pretend they aren't there. God wants us to be authentic and honest with him. The second one is this. Submit your fear to God. Submit your fear to God. He already knows, but you need to cast it at his feet. And here's the third thing. Focus on God's presence and love. Focus on his presence and love. Remember, it's perfect love. The greater level you understand his love, the more that fear in this life will go away. This is why the disciples changed everything when they saw Jesus raised from the dead. They experienced his love and they experienced the power of God and they didn't have the same fear that we had beforehand. But I want to tell us one of the best things that we can do in the middle of a storm that we may be going through is to praise God. To give him praise. And just so you know, praise is actually not what happens at the first part of service that's a faster song. That's not what praise is, okay? I know many times that's how we delineate between praise and worship, but that's not it. Uh, Exodus 15, actually the next chapter after God brings him through, is actually one of the oldest recorded songs, and it was actually praise to God. Psalm 145 verse 2 says, I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Psalm 34, 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. Okay, here's why praise is important. It's because that's the way you enter into the presence of God. See, when we praise, we actually get to experience God's peace. See, praise is about the adoration and admiration of a God who is still faithful. See, we can be still because God is still loving. We can be still because God is still faithful. We can be still and be at peace and at rest because he's still the one who provides for us. He's still the one that cares for us. He's the one who's compassionate and kind towards us. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who heals us. He's the one who sets us free. We can be still. But the disciples were walking through this place and this Selah moment for them, it wasn't a time to ponder if he cares, but to know how he cares. That God cares for you in those times that are hard and the times that you may struggle and the times that you doubt. Those are the times that God actually moves in, not when he's walking out. But it has to become personal for you. So here's what you need to understand. That the peace that God gives you isn't just for you. It's for those around you. Remember, there were other little boats also on the sea at this time. And when Jesus said, peace be still for his disciples, it actually helped every other boat that was on the water. And here's what God is saying to all of us. That as I give you peace, be a carrier of peace to other people. As I give you peace and you make true peace with me, share that peace with other people to let them know that their life can be changed as well. See, being still allows us to have confidence in God. Being still actually prepares us to move 
into what God wants us to step into. And we can experience his peace that passes all understanding. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every message, we ask a very simple but powerful question. And that's, what's the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? Some of us, we struggle with this idea of stillness. We're always busy. We're always moving things forward. And, and stillness doesn't feel like progression. And you may be hearing God simply say to you, be still. Know me. I want to know you. And God wants to do a great work in that area of your life in the same way that he wanted to do it in mine. In a moment here, there's going to be a prayer team down front, both here, Katie, and in Magnolia, and even for those watching online. And we want to pray with you. It doesn't have to pertain to the message. But I want to encourage you today not to leave with the same burdens that you came in with. That God answers prayer. That even if you're walking in fear, you can acknowledge it with someone else and allow them to join their faith with yours because we know that God wants to move in all of our lives. Some of us are at that place where we're experiencing great fear. But we need to experience God's great love to cast out all of that fear. But there's a group of people here today that I also want to speak to that may not even be at the first step of knowing the love of God and giving their lives to him and placing their trust in him. That God is a faithful God that you can put your faith and you can put your hope and you can put your trust in him. And if you're here today, in a moment, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to me to count you in with that prayer, you just say, hey, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to experience his peace. I want to put my trust in him. Would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise it, raise it high. Say, I want to put my trust in him, even there over there at Magnolia. Raise your hand and say, I want to put my trust in in God. I want to experience the peace. I want to experience the stillness that can only come from him. You can put your hands down and just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you that we can be still. That stillness is a pathway to knowing you in a greater way. I pray that you would speak to us through the things that we may, be, we may be going through. And Father, I pray right now and I ask it as we give you our lives, as we say that we believe in you, as we trust you and we put our faith in you, that you would ex we would experience new life, eternal life that can only come from you. Today we say we receive the forgiveness that can only come from a God who was willing to lay down his life and was raised from the dead three days later. And for our faith, our hope, and our trust, we say today that we believe in you. Thank you for giving your life so that we could experience new life. And we thank you for that right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.